Morning, church. My name is Raf. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the student pastor here at Journey Church, and I'm really excited to be here with you all this morning. Um, I want to piggyback a little bit off of uh, something that Dan said um, when he was transitioning from worship uh, as far as Mother's Day, because I came across something uh, this week that I'd never seen before. Uh, my wife actually showed it to me. Some of you probably read it on Facebook, but it was an open letter to pastors, and it gave me a perspective that I'd never had before about Mother's Day and the fact that, like Dan said, um, it might mean different things to different people in different stages of life, and, it, and, and so I want to acknowledge that just by reading a portion of, of what I read uh, to you all, um, and this is on behalf of myself and, and Journey Church. Um, it says, to those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk with the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are, fat, who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mother this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. We remember you, and we, we love you. Okay, that's from our church to, to you all. I also just wanted to share a couple of stories by way of encouragement, because Mother's Day does mean something extra special to me, and this is fairly recent, um, but, but it's, it's pretty cool, and, and, and I hope it encourages you. But two years ago uh, on this day, I preached uh, a message from this very stage, and uh, what was special about that is my parents came from, from Boston, uh, my, my dad and my stepmom, who I, I wish we had a better name for that, because she's so much more than that, and she helped raise me, but... but um, just for expediency, we'll say my dad and my stepmom, uh, they, they came down from Boston to visit, and, uh, and I was preparing my message. Uh, this is the first time they were going to hear me speak, and so I was really excited, a little bit nervous, and my wife comes in as I'm like in the middle of, of writing, and she's like, um, hey, are you going to have a decision time? I said, what do you mean? She said, like, a time for people to accept Jesus at the, at the end of your message. I was like, I don't know. I haven't thought it through. I haven't gotten that far. Why? And she said, I think you should. I, I've been praying. I just, I think you should. 
I think, I, and, I, and I was like, listen, I don't, my dad, I should share this part, he, he, didn't, he, he was not a believer. He did not know Jesus at the time. And so uh, she, she said, I, I just, I got a good feeling. I think you should. And I said, listen, I don't need that kind of pressure, okay? <laughs> like, come on, what are you doing to me? Uh, but but uh, sure enough, fast forward to Mother's Day, um, I, I kind of let the spirit lead me. And at the end of the message, I said, I'm going to do it. I, I asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And with every eye closed, every head down, I said, if you want to accept Jesus for the first time, raise your hand. And I kid you not, in the entire room, there's one hand in the very middle of the, of the room guy with his hands up and tears coming down his face, and it was my dad. Amen. It took everything in me not to run off the stage and go hug him right then, but I had to wrap things up and pray. But as soon as I did, that's that's exactly what happened. Um, And so that was two years ago. Well, well, this week... um, I talked to uh, I talked to my mom. She actually she called me, and uh, she's she's not a believer either. She lives in Washington D.C. with her husband, and so I know that recently they've been attending a church, a local church, and trying to get into it. And I've been working on her for a while, but really God's been doing something in her heart. And so she reached out to me this week, Mother's Day week, and says, "Hey, I just took the class in my church to be baptized, and I would love for you to come baptize me." Amen. I thank you. <laughs> And I just, I got to say, man, there's nothing special about, about me that made that happen. That's God who did that. And I, I tell our students all the time, when you show up to this place, bring your expectation. Bring your expectation with you. Bring your faith with you. Believe that miracles can happen because they will. If you believe, we believe what the Bible says, that God is who he says he is, then, then he makes the impossible possible. Okay? And so, so I hope you brought your expectation with you this morning. Amen? That said... Um, we will jump in today because we've got a lot to cover. Um, we, are, we are nearing the end of a series, um, it, it, walking through the book of Ephesians called I Am. I Am. And this is a series we've been trying to uh, answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Not, not who do I think I am, not who the world says I am, not who I even see when I look in the mirror, but who does the God of the Bible say I am? Okay, and, and, and uh, the title of my message today is I Am Loved. I Am Loved. Loved, and, and we're going to talk about what that means here in, in, in just a minute. Uh, but, but I want to start uh, with our text for today. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, if you want to follow along. Uh, but before that, I want to give you a disclaimer, okay? Disclaimer. Um, I want you to take off, let go of whatever baggage you came in here with. Take off uh, the, the glasses or the context, whatever you're wearing, um, your personal view. And, and, and if you would, put on the lens of, of Jesus Christ, of, of your good Father in heaven who loves you. And let's, let's uh, pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what he would have us hear through this text, okay? And, and when I read it, you'll understand why I'm saying that, okay? So let's go ahead and jump in. Um, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wives, (laughs) submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I'll be very honest with you all. Um, when I first started preparing for, for this message this week, I really, I really struggled. I really struggled through it. I struggled to get anything on paper, and then I struggled to, uh, with having way too much and trying to narrow it down. And, and there are a few reasons why. Um, the, the, the first is, is because I thought this scripture was about marriage. Okay, and, and um, most of you probably don't know this, but of everyone on staff at Journey Church, I have the least marriage experience. <laughs> My wife and Missy and I have been married for about five years, but even as I look out in the crowd, I know there's so much we can learn about marriage from all of you, and so there's that. Okay, that's, that's one reason, but also um, I know there are many of you who are single. There are many of you who maybe have experienced divorce or are, are going through divorce, and, and um, in my mind, I wanted to make sure that, that I had something for everybody. That, that when I got up here and read a marriage text, you weren't going to say, oh, this isn't for me, and check out. And so I said, i got to hit everybody with this. I've got to keep them in, engaged. And so I was wrestling with that in my mind. And then add to that the fact that the opening line of my text on this beautiful Mother's Day is, wives, <laughs> submit to your husbands. Okay, so, so needless to say, I struggled a little bit. And uh, I actually called my, my buddy Alex Tolbert, who uh, he, he got married yesterday. And the reason I, I was calling him was actually to try and encourage him, see if there was anything I can pray for him. He and I have been in small group for a lot of years, and we're actually accountability partners. And so I said, buddy, big day is coming up. You know, how can I pray for you? Well, well sure enough, the way God works, he starts ministering to me. <laughs> how can I pray for you? What's going on with you? And so I told him I was struggling, and, and, uh, and he laughed. He said something kind of joking but, but serious. He said, what are you struggling with, man? It's one message, bro. There's one message. It's Jesus. And, and, and man, like I said, he was half joking, half kidding, but I got off the phone and I was like, he's so right. He's exactly right. That's what this entire Bible is about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's about his, his love for, for us. And, and so the more I study these verses in, in Ephesians, the more I realize that this is really a text about Jesus' love for us. And the big idea in this passage is, is love. Paul says six times in this short scripture, love, love, love. In our culture, unfortunately, we've, we've taken love and we've distorted it to mean whatever we want it to be. But, but the Bible, uh, that's not what it says about love. According to, to the scriptures, love is a great mystery. Paul uses that language here about love. And what he means is this, something that was previously unknown that has now been made known to us in Jesus Christ. See, see, back then, much like we do today, people would use the language of love, but it was uh, accompanied by lots of misunderstanding. So, so people would say love, but it lacked true meaning. But once Jesus shows up on the scene, we see what love, what love really means. We see what love really is. Not only do we have a definition of love, but now we have a living, breathing example walking around of love with us here on earth. And so here's the, the big idea today. Paul is saying that there's no understanding of love apart from the work and the person of Jesus Christ. There's no, we can't wrap our minds around what love is until we understand who Jesus is and how he loves us. Then we can begin to understand love. And so it remains for so many people who still use the word love a great mystery. They don't really know or understand what it is or what it means 
because they, they don't know Jesus. But to those of us who do know Jesus, he's given the opportunity to see and more importantly to experience what love is and what it does because the mystery has been made known to us in Christ Jesus. Love as defined by God. Love as Jesus reveals it in his life and in his, in his ministry and, and, and in his actions. And so, so when it comes to love, we must start first not with our love for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or for a friend or for a family member or, or even for your spouse, but we must start with God's love, his perfect love for us that inspired him to send his one and only son to the cross in our place. That's where we start. And so, so to illustrate this, Paul uses the, the timeless metaphor of, of marriage, that God's love is shown for us like a bride and, and a groom. I mentioned my buddy Alex, he got married yesterday, and so we were there to celebrate with him, and, and I was thinking about this as I was sitting there watching him standing up at the altar with the, the priest and, 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 you know, the bridesmaids on one side and the groomsmen on the other, and, and he's waiting in anticipation for his bride to come. And all of a sudden, the music cues, and she starts walking down the aisle, and you see his face light up the first time he sees her, right? And, 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 and that brought me back to my wedding day. And I remember being in those shoes and standing there and waiting for her to come down that aisle as well. And, and, and I remember the, the joy and the excitement and, and, and all the, the love that was bursting within me. And, and, and I realized as I read this text that that's what Paul is, is, is saying. That's why he uses this illustration because Jesus, he's saying Jesus' love for the church is like a groom's love for, that, for, for his bride on his wedding day. And that makes sense to me. It's this timeless, amazing, devoted, perfect commitment of covenant and, and affection. And, and the reason I think many of us tend to love weddings or, or the reason that we love great romantic stories or we like to see people fall in love and stay in love is because there's something inside each and every one of us at, at our very core that, that wants to experience that kind of love. That, that longs to be loved that way, that never-ending, perfect, committed, devoted kind of love. And, and, and what I want you to understand today is that that longing that we have for a perfect love, a love that's unending, a love that, that's devoted and generous and sacrificial and humble, is never going to be met through our horizontal relationships. It can only be met through our vertical ones. What I mean is only God in Jesus Christ loves perfectly, loves humbly, loves continually, loves unselfishly, loves generously all the time without fail. Only God can love you that way through his son, Jesus. See, oftentimes what happens with us is that we'll have a job description or an expectation of sorts for a relationship that someone would love us a certain way. And then you hand it to a friend and they disappoint you. You hand it to, to a, a family member, and they let you down. You hand it to, to a spouse or a significant other, and, 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 and they disappoint you. They, they fail you. You get married, and, and you hand it to your husband or your wife. They fail you, and, and, and all of a sudden, there's this deep sense of loss, this sense of disappointment. And the reason, usually, is because that's a job description that they were never meant to fill. Only Jesus could fill that role. Only he could fill that role, that he would never leave you, that he would never forsake you, never fail you, never disappoint you, that he would never treat you in any way that is other than loving. Only Jesus was meant to fill that role in your heart. And so what this does is it turns love into an idol for us. And all of a sudden, we don't even realize it, but we're using people so that we would get 
that love that we are desperately longing for. We're trying to get it from each other. So here's the good news today. If that love comes from Jesus, then that longing for love is met. Ultimately, you will be satisfied. And then that then allows us to start loving others with that love that he's given us, with that love that he's filled us up with. And it means we don't have to be in a relationship. It means we can be single like like Jesus was and still be satisfied because that loving relationship already exists, whether or not I'm in a relationship, a dating relationship. It, It means that even when those that we love, especially our spouse, when they fail us, which they will and we will, our love has not come to an end. We're not without love. Our identity is not one as unloved or, or formerly loved or previously loved, but one who is perfectly loved, continually loved, and still loved by Jesus. I am loved. I am loved. You are loved. And when you know that, when you understand that Jesus loves you and how much he loves you, it frees you up to love him and then love other people the way you're supposed to. Because it's, it's from the love that he gives. This is what Paul's teaching us this morning. That, that Jesus' love for the church is, is the example, the pattern, the source for a husband's love for his wife. So for the, for the rest of our time, I'm just going to break down a few of the, the five ways I think Jesus loves the church that, that Paul shows us in the scripture. Excuse me. All right. Um, this is five ways Jesus loves uh, the church uh, according to the Apostle Paul. Number one says, uh, he says, Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. So, so the first way that Jesus loves us is as our head. Now, the head is at the top, right? It's, it's preeminent. It, it comes first. This means that Jesus is in charge. Jesus has the authority. The church belongs to Jesus. Ultimately, it's governed and run by Jesus. That means it's about what he wants, not what we want. It's about what he wants, not what I want. The church belongs to Jesus. It's, uh, you know, as most of you know, decisions are made in your head, right? That means Jesus, as the head, he makes the decisions, okay? Uh, He's the one who leads. He leads and, and we follow. It means as the head and as the leader, he takes responsibility for us. That's the very definition of a leader, one who takes responsibility. So for you and I, here's how that works. We sin against God. That's not Jesus' fault. That's our fault, right? He didn't make us do it. We just did it. We do it. It's in, our, it's in our sinful nature. But he comes into human history, and he lives without sin. He lives the perfect, obedient life. He goes to the cross. He substitutes him, himself. Okay? He dies in our place for our sins. He pays the debt that we deserve to pay. And in doing that, he takes responsibility for us. He takes responsibility for us. So on the cross, Jesus is taking responsibility for the things that are not his fault. That's what it means to be the head. And this is very important because this is the language the Bible uses to talk about husbands and their families and fathers and their children. That that in every way to be the head man is to be the man who is trying by the grace of God to be like Jesus, taking responsibility for your wife and for your children, regardless of whether or not it's your fault. So Jesus takes responsibility for us as the head. That's, that's the first way he loves us. Okay, that's number one. Number two, as Savior. As Savior. 
we're told that he is Savior of the church. Romans uh, 3, verse 10 says, no one is righteous, not even one. That means is that we're all sinners. Every single one of us, sinners desperately in need of a Savior, and we cannot save ourselves. We don't have the power to do it. That means religion does not save you, philosophy does not save you, spirituality does not save, morality cannot save. We need someone apart from the system, someone to come in from the outside who is untainted, unstained by sin, who who lived a perfect life to enter into our world and save us. We need a rescuer. We need a rescuer. His name's Jesus. This also means there's only one Savior. There's only one Savior. There's not a bunch of different paths that all lead to God. Different roads go different places. That's why Jesus himself said in, in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All singular, all exclusive. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He alone is Savior. And he says he's come to seek and save those who are lost. That's us. Okay? That's all of us. He's come to seek us because he loves us. And so the question then becomes, do you know Jesus as Savior? Have you received his love? Do you understand that as head, he's taken responsibility for your sin? And as Savior, he is glad to save you from the punishment. From the punishment, the eternal punishment of your sin. This is how he loves us. This is how he loves us. As head, as Savior. And number three... As giver. As giver. It's one of the ways he loves us. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. What's that mean? In in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said something else. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And so think about that in terms of, of treasure. What's he getting at? What do you give your time to? What do you give your energy to? What do you give your resources to? What do you give your wealth to? Because Paul's saying, what you give to shows what you love. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. He gave everything for her, for you and for me. Think about the significance of this. The the church of Jesus Christ has been going for over 2,000 years. And if, if, if Jesus still hasn't returned 2,000 years from now, there will still be the church of Jesus Christ. We're the biggest thing that's ever been. More nations, more countries, more cultures, more languages, more people are a part of the movement of Christianity than anything else in the history of the world. And here's the thing. It's not because we're so smart, because we're not. It's not because we're so organized as the church, because a lot of times we're not. It's not because we're always doing a great job, because sometimes we're not. It's only because... Jesus Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Amen. The resurrected, living, loving Lord Jesus Christ keeps giving of himself, Amen. all of him. We get all of him. And so I would encourage you, I would say to you, give yourself to what Jesus gave himself to. That's the church. It's the church. That's why I can stand up here confidently and say, give your heart to the church. Give, give your time to the church as a, as a volunteer. Give your life to the church as a servant. Even give your money to the church. I said it. Here's why I can say that. Because that's what Jesus did. He gave himself, all of him, literally. 
Literally, he gave everything he had. That's what love is. Love isn't uh, just an emotion that we feel. It's not just a word we can say. It's a commitment that compels us to act. And a part of action is giving. It's, it's generosity. If, if you really want to love like Jesus loved, love someone else like he loves you, it's going to cost you something. Th- think of it this way. What, what do you have that's been given to you by Jesus? Human life is a gift. This earth is a gift. The fact that we are, we are made in his image and in his likeness is a gift. His righteousness is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Forgiveness of sins, a gift. Eternal life, the kingdom of God, the Bible, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. It's one of the ways that Jesus loves us, by giving, by giving us these gifts. That's three. Number four, as sanctifier and cleanser. Sanctifier and cleanser. Paul says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What this means is it implies we are dirty. We're dirty. We are defiled. We're unclean. And that is a direct result of our sin. And religion would say, you better get yourself cleaned up before you try to present yourself to God. You better clean up that mess, fix your problems, get rid of your issues, clean up, and then maybe you can come and have an audience with God. That's what religion teaches. But Jesus says the opposite. He would invite you to come as you are because he knows his love is so transformative that you won't stay that way. He cleans you up. One says, clean yourself up. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'll clean you up. I'll clean you up. I was thinking of a, uh, trying to think of an illustration, an example of this. And, and uh, as usual, I landed on my kids. <laughs> you know, my girl, they're such a good source of material. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if, if any of you have little kids or have had little kids. Um, it's amazing the mess that a little person can make. Like, just unbelievable mess. Not just, like, exterior, like, mess in the house, but they, they mess themselves. Like, bodily fluids. Like, I don't mean to get too gross, but, like, when my girls are sick, like, runny noses and snot everywhere, and Narai's got this big bushy hair and gets stuck in. Like, it's gross, right? She makes a mess when they were, when they were um, really young and, and, and still in diapers. And, and um, you ever have, like, the onesie blowout? You guys know what I'm talking Like, it's coming up out of place not supposed to. I'm not, so, I'm not trying to be gross, but this is real, right? That mess, is, it's something else. But here's, here's what I don't do. Here's what, what my wife doesn't do as, as, as a mom and as a loving father. I say, oh, go clean yourself up and come talk to me, right? Do, do, do I say get out? No, I run towards her and I clean her up. I wipe her face. I put her hair up. We give them a bath. We, we change that diaper. And then we, we make sure that, that we clean them up first and, 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 and we hug them and we love them and we let them know how, how special they are, right? And, and, and so it is with Jesus. So it is with Jesus. We are the children of God. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you walk through these doors and you're like, I'm a, I'm a mess. I did it again. <laughs> I'm up to my neck in it. I'm sitting in it. I made a mess of this life again, Jesus. And you know what he doesn't do? Go clean yourself up and then come talk to me. He didn't say, get this kid away from me. No, he does the opposite. He runs towards us, meets us where we are. He draws near. God comes into human history, and he's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to get his hands dirty for us. He's willing to clean you up and love you through your mess, in your mess, and take you out of it because he's sanctifier and cleanser. That's so loving, isn't it? Number five, nourisher 
and cherisher. Paul says, Jesus loves us as nourisher and cherisher. Um, we'll go back to verse, verse 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The, the NIV version of the scripture says, feeds and cares for. Feeds and cares for. I can relate to that. That's what it means to nourish and cherish. But the reason I can relate to that is because I like to feed my body. I'm well cared for, like in that area. I love to eat. So that makes sense to me that to love someone is to feed and care for, to nourish and, and cherish them. Um, I, I really like the, the message version of this scripture. It's uh, Eugene Peterson's translation. I'll read that starting in verse 29. It says, no one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. And so this is the part where I got to tie back in the marriage part, right? Because it's the big elephant in the room and I haven't talked about it. And I'm like, Jesus in love and you all feel great. But we got a couple questions to answer before we wrap up. What does it mean for a husband to love and lead like Jesus? What does it mean for a husband to love and lead like Jesus? Quite frankly, men, it means we take our cues from Jesus. We do everything we just talked about. It means as the head, you take responsibility for your family, whether or not it's your fault. It means to love and sacrifice as our Savior did for us. What would you sacrifice for your family? It means there's, there's nothing that you wouldn't give for your bride. He gave us everything. It means as cleanser and sanctifier, you are willing to love and lead in and through the messiness of life, no matter where it takes you. And as nourisher and cherisher, it means you love your wife as you love yourself. The two have become one. I would just add uh, just one, one more thing. Just practically speaking, um, to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, man, I think, I think we need to be tough and tender. We need to be tough and tender. Jesus was tough with false teachers. He was tough with the Pharisees. He was tough with people who would come and hurt the church. But he was very tender with the people of God. I think as, as, as men, as husbands, we need to be tough for our family and tender with our family. Tough for our family, tender with our family. Because guys who are only tough tend to abuse their family. And guys who are only tender tend to allow others to abuse their family. So, so this is what it means for a husband to love and lead like Jesus. Take our cues from him. Secondly and final question, um, what does it mean for a wife to submit and respect like Jesus? Here's, let's start with what it doesn't mean, okay? Um, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the wife is less valuable or intelligent or competent or important or, or, or um, valuable than her husband. It doesn't mean that a wife can't have independent thoughts or seek to influence her husband in a certain way, or she can't share those, those thoughts or those feelings or emotions. 
Both men and, and women bear equally the image and likeness of God, which means we have equal dignity and value before him. So, so it doesn't mean that men are going to be ruling over women in general. It doesn't mean that. We're not talking about gender issues. We're talking about marriage issues. This is important to me because I've got two daughters, okay, two little girls. And here's what I would never say to my little girls. Men are in charge. Men are in charge. Do what they say. I would never say that. Listen, okay, I work very closely with young men, okay? It's the last thing I would ever tell them, all right? Seriously, though, seriously, what we're talking about here is not all women and men. We're talking about one woman, a wife, and one man, her husband. We're not talking about every single conceivable role for a, for a highly competent, intelligent woman. We're talking about architecting the family like Jesus loves and leads the church, and so, so my goal as a dad is to raise competent, godly, intelligent, well-educated young women. And then one day in the very, 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 very distant future, <laughs> marry them to, to a young man who's up to the task. That's what it doesn't mean, okay? Now, here's what it does mean. Here's what it does mean. It means she takes her cues from Jesus, too. It means she takes her cues from Jesus, Think about it in terms of the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, okay? We believe there is one God, but three persons, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and, and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and they are all equal, sharing all the divine attributes of God, okay? But all throughout Scripture, we see Jesus, the second member of, of the Trinity, submitting to God the Father, submitting to the will of, of God the Father, and so he shows us, by example, you can be equal and be under authority. You can be equal and be under authority. That's why a teacher is not more valuable than a student. It's why a, a, a political leader is not more valuable than a citizen. It means that someone is leading and someone is submitting and deferring to that leadership. And that takes tremendous humility and strength and power that can only come from Jesus. That's what submission is. In fact, Jesus uh, tells us to pray this way, your will be done. Your will be done. That's what he said in the garden at Gethsemane before he was to be crucified. As he was preparing to go to the cross and bear the full weight of all of our sin. Jesus had this prayer, this anguish-filled prayer with his Father in heaven. If it's possible to remove this cup of suffering, then do it. In other words, God, if you can take this from me, please do it. But then he follows it up, but not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Ladies, to respect and submit is to be like Jesus, is to be like Jesus. Husbands, men, to love and to lead is to be like Jesus. Church, to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to be who, who, who God is calling us to be, is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, uh, for this beautiful day. Thank you for this church. I thank you for every person who's walked through these doors this morning, God. And I pray you would not let us leave here this morning without wrestling in our hearts with what it is that you want us to do. God, without fully understanding the, the love that you have for us, 
that you've demonstrated for us. God, for every husband and every, every wife, God, I pray that, that as they leave here, you would do a work in their hearts. You would do a work in their marriages and in their, in their families, God. For, for the single person, God, that, that you would um, make clear to them how much you love them, that you would fill them up so much that they don't need anyone else, but that when they do find that person, it's because you sent them there and, 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 and they're not looking for them to provide that only, what only you can give. God, for the young people here, help them to, to, to grow and learn and love and become who you're calling them to be uh, before they, they ever um, step into this beautiful example that you've given us of marriage. And God, for all of us, help us to take our cues from you, to love as you love, to be who, who you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.